Good morning, Heartland Church of Christ. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17, or turn on your phone app, or open your iPad and look at Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17. We're going to begin there in a moment. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Uh, I am a full believer that many of us fall in one of three categories. Either we are just coming out of a mess, or we are uh, one decision away from being in a mess, you know, along that line. So we're all kind of in the same boat. So we're either just getting out of a mess, or we're one decision away from being in a mess, and so we're all in the same boat. So we just believe it's better to join God on this journey through this life and Jesus as we try to figure out this thing called life along that way. Now, the last time I shared with you, we looked at one question, and the question was, what, where does our view of God come from? And we determined that if we're going to have a good view of God, the best place to get our view of God is from Jesus, because Jesus puts God into focus. This morning, as we get ready for the holidays, as we get ready to go to work or go to school, as we get ready to deal with the, the community around us, can we find common ground as we journey in this life with the people around us? For the holidays, we're getting ready to be with family and friends we haven't seen in a while. You know, you get to be with that crazy uncle. You know, and if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have a crazy uncle, you may be that crazy uncle along that line. So the question comes in, can we find common ground, especially in the time when people are trying to take God and Jesus out of the schools, trying to take God and Jesus out of the community, out of the courts, out of, you know, government? Can we find common ground, even though they tend to, when they want to take God out of the picture and something goes wrong, then they want to blame God? Can we find common ground is what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray for a moment. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we thank you that you've helped us in this journey of life through the many messes that we've been through, that you helped us to get out of the mess, that you give us wisdom as we journey in this life. This morning, as we look at how we can find common ground with the people around us, we ask that we will always put you first in everything that we do. Father, we ask you to forgive the speakers for as many sins, for his sins are many. And you help us only to see Jesus, just Jesus. We pray this in your blessed Son's name and all of God's people said, Amen. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16, Paul finds himself in a strange place. And as he finds himself in a strange place, he's trying to find common ground in a difficult situation, and I want us to see what we can learn from the story. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens for his friends, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Pause. It's interesting. I was born and raised in New York City. How many have ever been to New York City? Okay, I was born and raised in New York City, and we could always tell the visitors, you know why? They would always be looking up, and they'd always be touching their wallet to make sure. And Paul, as he's walking around, he sees 
temple after temple after temple of places where people would go and worship these statues or these gods. And if somebody wanted to get rich, they would go to this temple over here to pray for good crops. Or if they wanted, you know, to find a mate, they would go to this temple over here and ask, you know, you know, to the God, you know, to the statues, hey, would you help me to find somebody? Or if they hated someone, they go to this temple over here, can you curse my enemies? And so Paul's looking around and says, man, this is, this is strange, you know, I've never been in a place like this before. And he goes on in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler talking about? See, I, I feel at home there. What is this babbler talking about? Others marked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then he took him and brought him to the meeting of the Aragopagus where they, was, they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the greatest idea. So Paul is there, and he starts talking to the people, and you have kind of two groups of people. You have the, um, you have the, um, the Stoics and the um, Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were people who truly believed that life was found through pleasure. And that was their whole philosophy, that the purpose of this life is just to enjoy pleasure. And the Stoics were like, no, no, the purpose of life is self-control and discipline and making good choices and making, you know, the wisest situations out of a bad situation and doing the best that you can. And Paul comes along and he starts talking about the good news of Jesus. And I thought about that. He didn't say he started talking about Jesus. He says he talked about the good news of Jesus. And I thought about that because a lot of times we don't hear the good news of Jesus. We kind of only, you know, most religions just talk about the bad news. But he's talking about the good news of Jesus, that God sent his one and only son to take on our curse and to break it for us so that we could be with him. And they were like, man, we never heard this before. The good news of Jesus. And it's interesting. They wanted to hear more. They were like, Hey, we want to lean in and listen to what you're saying because this is kind of strange to us. We've never heard this before. And it's interesting, if I get these slides to work, don't need slides. If God sent his son to die for you, then he's for you. They never heard this before because in their mind, the gods were just always angry at man. The gods were always just kind of playing with them, you know, making their life miserable just because they had nothing better to do up there. And they were like, no, God cares about us. He sent his son. This is good news. And they were like, really? And they were kind of leaning in as they wanted to hear about this good news. And a lot of times, like I said, we don't we don't think of Jesus as being good news. But it is good news. And that's what Paul is, was sharing with them. So they said, hey, we want to hear more about this. 
Because they like to talk about, well, they didn't have any Facebook back then. But they like to talk about the latest and greatest ideas. See, people really haven't changed that much. And so we go on. He says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found this altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Pause. I love the way he starts. He starts simply by saying, hey, I want to compliment you on being a seeker. I want to compliment you that you're searching and that you are truly searching. I like that because he didn't start off by saying, you guys are all wrong. You guys are worshiping statues and, you know, there's nothing there. But he starts off trying to get common ground. He says, you know what, we're all in a boat. We're all trying to find meaning and purpose. Next slide. We're all trying to find meaning and purpose in life. Everybody is. You know, they say the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day, yeah, you found out why, you understand why I'm here. And we're all searching. Everybody's searching. All of our relatives, all of our friends, families, we're all searching for the meaning and purpose in life. And some of us are really hurting. And when we're hurting, we think the meaning and purpose of life is terrible. And it's not. But Paul is trying to find common ground. And I thought about this because I remember when I was a kid, my older brother was always mean to my mom, and I never could understand why. And when I asked him one time, why are you so mean to mom? He says, I didn't ask to be born. I don't like it here, and I'm going to make her suffer. And then I hit him. And then he just didn't hit me back, which is unusual for my brother. But there are a lot of people who are all searching for meaning and purpose and Paul's saying, listen, I notice you guys are very religious. You're searching and you're seeking. He says, and I want you to know that I'm going to share with you some information you may not know about this unknown God. Now, we don't know why that altar was there. Maybe it was for Jehovah God and they just didn't want to upset anybody. They just you know, made this inscription. But for many of us and for back then, they may have said, you know what? There may be a God we don't know about. Let's not tick him off and let's just build an altar right here. Just in case something, you know, someone's up there and we don't want to get them angry. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. Pause. He starts off by saying, you know what? There's only one creator. You know, if you have a... Creator, if you have something that is made, then you have to have a creator. If you have something, if something was built, and it has, it's not random. There's only, but there's only one creator. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands, to which they were like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm, I go to the, see him every, every day or once a week, and yes, he's in this temple, and I worship him. And he's like, no, as a matter of fact. He's not even in these temples. He doesn't even live in buildings, to which it must have just blown their mind. And then he says something else, which is which really fascinating. He says, 
And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Now, this really must have shocked them, because in their mind, they always went to temple to worship the gods and to give them, because they were angry and they wanted our stuff and they wanted our praise, and we don't want the gods to be angry. And he goes, you know, the God who created everything, he doesn't need anything from us. In which they were like, really? I've been going all this time. You mean he doesn't need anything from me? Goes, nope, doesn't need anything from you. Matter of fact, we need everything from him. For in him we live and move and have our being. To which case they were like, wow, I thought I was in control. It's like, no, as a matter of fact, we are in less control than we realize. And that's common ground. It's interesting because I, one time I was thinking what were things that were not in my control that I had no choice in. For example, I didn't have the choice in when I was born. That was God's choice. Now, some of us wish we were born in the wild, wild west. I'm glad I was born in air conditioning for me. But it's interesting. We had no choice in when we were born. We were just put into that situation. He goes on to talk about that. He says, from one man, he made every man of nations that they should inherit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And I thought, man, I didn't have a choice in when I was born. I didn't have a choice in who my brothers and sisters were. I didn't have a choice in who my parents. Maybe I'm not as in control as I think I am. I can have influence, and as I'm older now than I'm almost 60 years old, I may not have a choice when it's time to go home. God is more in control than we realize. And Paul is going like, you know, maybe that is true for us as we look at common ground. One time I was with my 17-year-old son and we were driving and he looked at me and said, Dad, I need a new pair of sneakers. And I said, Son, I just bought your pair last. He says, Yeah, but everybody has this type and I really want it. I said, Why don't you get a job and go, go buy a pair? And he really got mad. He started hitting the dashboard and kicking and screaming. He goes, this life is so unfair. And I looked at him and said, you're right. It is isn't. I don't know. Why were you born in the United States and not in some rice paddy in China? He looked at me and said, I hate you. And I said, pick a number, no pushing, shoving your mom's purse. But we really don't have that much choice. But it's like we're not as in control of life as we like to think we are. And those of us that know when we're getting older and when we start to have aches and pains that we ever thought about. And Paul is saying, look, God doesn't need anything from us. We need him. We need his help. And then he goes on. He said, God did this in verse 27 so that we may seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, I love that. He doesn't quote Old Testament scripture. He doesn't quote New Testament scripture because it hadn't been written yet. He quotes a truth within their own culture. And he says, you know what? 
this is true. And so Paul is using whatever he can to find common ground with the people around him. And I really enjoyed that and I liked that. Because technically saying, guys, we're all in the same boat. We all are dealing with the same curse. And we just have to figure out how to get through this and see what our Creator wants us to know. And I thought, wow, that's perfect. Because when I look at it that way, then it's all about coming together and reasoning together. Does that make sense? And so that's what Paul is doing. He's finding common ground along that line. And then he goes on. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or images made to look like man's design and skill. Pause. He begins by saying, look, we need to stop making God out of our own image, out of what we think he wants us to think or believe. We need to let him speak for himself. And we don't do that today. We don't make God out of our own image. We just kind of worship the things he created as if it is God. And we sidestep the temple and we just go after the pleasure or the riches and all this other stuff. And he says, you know what, don't make God out of your own image. I remember having another conversation with my youngest son and it was like, well, I don't like this about God. You know, I think we should... Marry as many people as we want. Now, why you want that many mother-in-laws? I don't get it. And I said, well, that's kind of a God thing. He says, well, I don't agree with it. And I said, well, then why don't you talk to God? And he goes, oh, no. I'm like, well, it's between you and God. It's not between me and you. He says it. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit it. If you don't like that, go talk to him. And we just finished a class on being completely honest with God. And God wants us to be completely honest with him. But we've got to go to him and we've got to talk to him. He says, but don't make God out of your own image. Let God speak for himself. And so they're like, wow, this is completely different from what I, re- I realized. And he goes on. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And whenever I share this, the first thought is, well, repent of a sin or repent of doing something wrong. And that's not what he's talking about. He says, I, he says, I ask that all people will repent of their ignorance. Meaning, let's not ignore God anymore. Let's bring him into our life and into the conversation. Let's, let, let's listen to what he has to say. Don't ignore him anymore. And if you've ever been around people that ignore God, it's very interesting. It's kind of humorous. Again, it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to God. Don't tell God what I'm doing, okay? Or, well, I'm agnostic, which means I believe in God, but I'm just going to ignore him right now. And it's during that Las Vegas shooting, there was a guy who gave his um, testimony. He said, you know, when I was at that concert, I was an agnostic, and now I'm a believer. Because of the fact of what he went through in life, I realized I'm not going to ignore God anymore. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, look, I don't know all the ins and outs of everything or how this life is supposed to go, but I just know I can't ignore God anymore. 
And that's what Paul is saying. He says, let's just not ignore. And then he goes on. He says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And then Paul says, you know what? There is something. It's called a judgment day. And when we think of judgment day, we think of hell, fire, and brimstone, and, you know, the gods just holding people over the fire. That's not what Paul is trying to say. He's saying there is a day in which God will judge the world and he will make everything right. Wouldn't you look forward to the day when God will make everything right? My daughter one time, she had a really bad day. And so she says, why is life so unfair and why does God allow pain and suffering? I just want to make everything right. And I said, well, let's play a game. I've got here a button. And if you press this button, all the pain and suffering and evil in this world will be gone. You want to press it? She says, yeah, I'll press it. And I said, oh, before you do, just realize all the pain and suffering, anything that causes pain and suffering, anybody that hurts somebody or lies to someone or, you know, all that stuff will be gone. And she thought, oh, I can't press that button. Why not? Because I'll be gone. I'm like, exactly. God had to find another way to make everything right. And the good news is he did do that through Jesus Christ. By taking it on our curse through him, breaking our curse, and making the gift of salvation available so that we could be with him. Because that was the only way to get us to him without breaking us. And that was the good news. And so Paul says, you know what? God has set a day he's going to make everything right. And he proved it through the resurrection. Now, I remember the first time I, I was always a Jesus follower as a kid, man. I, I wanted to learn about Jesus because he made my life better and he made me better at life. But when I first really started thinking of the resurrection, I was like, oh, wait a minute. If this resurrection is true and God made Jesus Lord, then I'm not. And that was a heavy thought to me because I knew that I wanted to be in charge of my own life. But if God made Jesus Lord, then I don't have that option to be Lord of my own life. And that was the problem that the crowd had. Look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. And when they started thinking about the resurrection, they were like, Man, i got to think about this more. i got to figure this thing out. And the good news is we're not responsible for how people react to the good news. We're only responsible to share the story with them. How they react, we all react differently at different times and at different stages, and that's our journey. And some believed, and some, well, I don't know, i got to think about this more. And some said, nope, not for me at this time, and that was okay. But the point being is we've got to deal with the common ground and the common situation. And so... That's 
the common ground that Paul was talking about, that we're all in the same boat. We're all needing God's help. We're all all under a curse. And God, through the Son, wants to break that curse for us and bring us to Him. And that was good news. But does that mean He's in charge and I'm not? Yeah, it's better for Him to be in charge because I make too many mistakes. When I do, you know, when I when I when I'm in charge, then I then I do bad things. But when God is in charge and I let Him lead my life in Christ, then it makes all the difference. And so here we are trying to find common ground. Open, if you would, to Hebrews. I was we close out Hebrews chapter thirteen. In verse eleven. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the camp, the city gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continuously offer to God a, praise, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with those, with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. For a long time, I couldn't understand why Jesus had to suffer to make things right. And it wasn't until, as I was thinking about this, that it was, I went to this play in New York City. It was called Wicked. And it was a story about um, the good witch, or the wicked witch of the West was really a good person, but she kept doing bad things, or she kept doing good things, and bad things would happen. And the theme was of the whole thing was, no good deed goes unpunished. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, that makes sense. In order to bring good out of me, somebody had to sacrifice. In order to bring good out of me, somebody had to pay the price. I mean, think about it. To ha- to, for, for parents, you have to sacrifice to bring good out of your kid. Spouses, you have to sacrifice to bring good out of your spouse, right? So the good news is that God was willing to sacrifice his son to come to the earth to bear our curse, to break it, and to raise him from the dead so that he could bring good out of us. Because no good deed goes unpunished. It takes sacrifice to bring the best out of us. And God says, I've made the first move. Now it's up to us to find common ground with him as we engage with him, as we journey as a Jesus community. And that's the common ground we have with all the people around us. We're all, you know, God, Jesus died not just for us in this building, but for all people, all of us, all of our friends, all of our relatives, even our weird uncle, okay, for all of us. So we're responsible to tell the story and then just let them figure it out in their journey as we all journey together in that way. So this morning, as you take this journey with you, as you listen to this and as you go on and as you continue to seek God in Christ, if there's anything that we can do to help 
encourage, a way we can support since we're all in the same boat. We want to be able to do that as this Jesus community here in Heartland Church of Christ. Whatever we can do as you join us in this journey, as we travel together with Jesus, make those wishes known as we stand and sing.